The text is the reading from Revelation that you just heard from the lectern. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. How appropriate that a pericope on the beauties of heaven should fall during the rigors of final week. And even more appropriate that it should be assigned to an emeritus who, despite the most optimistic statistical projections, will soon experience empirically the unimaginable splendors of heaven he's privileged to talk about. There's no way I can exhaust this text without exhausting the listener. So I'd like to zoom in this morning on only one aspect of the text, and that is its language. The language of brides and mountains and cities and walls and gates and crystal and gold and jasper and pearls and a host of other precious jewels. Sophisticated as we are, or think we are, we find this sort of talk embarrassing. God sounds so unabashedly materialistic, so crudely concrete in the kinds of words he uses to describe our future home. There's that uh, Gnostic streak in us that grumbles that he oughtn't to do this. And so we spiritualize the language, clean it up, make it more abstract and dignified, and that way keep God on that higher plane where we think he should be. Oh, our intentions may be good. We don't want to appeal to the worst in people. We don't want them adopting a 72 virgins version of heaven. We don't want them making the mistake in heaven that John Milton's mammon did, whose looks and thoughts were always downward bent, admiring more the beauties of heaven's pavement, trodden gold, than anything ought or holy else enjoyed in vision beatific. We've got enough trouble with materialism here on earth. No sense making our heaven more of the same. So what do we do? We castrate our concept of heaven. Or to use a more tasteful metaphor, we boil the juice and the vitamins out of it. We spiritualize heaven. We think of it as something ethereal and vaporous and insipid, namby-pamby, cloud-nine stuff, a sort of eternal fog or mist. We uh, settle for the safer biblical descriptions of heaven, such as joy and peace and rest. Let me be upfront about this. I don't really know exactly what heaven is like, no matter how close I am to finding out. (laughs) And you don't either. Our customary way of responding to texts like ours is to conclude that if heaven isn't exactly gold and jewels, it's something even better than that, something that defies the capacity of our language to describe it and the capacity of our brains to take it in. We take refuge in St. Paul's memorable reminder, 
eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But there's a lot about the nature of God and the nature of his gospel that should prompt us to move in a direction totally opposite to that of spiritualizing the biblical descriptions of heaven. And now here comes my sermon goal. To realize the likelihood that the joys of heaven are more literal, not less literal, but more literal than the most literal language the Bible uses to describe them. Heavenly reality is more concrete, more definite, more solid, more tangible than even the descriptions you heard this morning from the lectern. The glories of heaven are more seeable, hearable, smellable, tasteable, and touchable than the most sensuous words our vocabulary can come up with to describe them. And here's why, or at least some of the why. Look at the Incarnation. To save the world, the second person of the Trinity, a spirit, mind you, took on flesh and blood and went through the whole human experience from crib to cross, from swaddling clothes to grave cloths. An episode, we're told, that still embarrasses Satan, who has nothing but contempt for this disgraceful liaison of God with two-legged creatures. And to add insult to Satan's alleged injury, Jesus has decided to retain his body, scars and all, for all eternity. Look at the means of grace. Who would ever guess that God would convey the salvation Jesus won for us through such definite and commonplace items as tap water and table bread and marketplace words? And then, and then, to add insult to our injured expectations, to throw an alcoholic beverage into the mix. Look at the resurrection. Unlike other religions, Christianity promises us bodies in heaven, not just some sort of soul experience, but bodies capable, as C.S. Lewis reminds us, of casting shadows in the sunlight and making noise as they tramp across the floor. That is God's style, his way of doing things, and uh, his style is not always our style. The beat goes on in our text. The motif of solidity continues. John tells us that he was carried to a high mountain in the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, no less, not John's inner spirit. We're talking here about a person, one of the persons of God, that one God who is persons, three of them, in fact, not a dynamic principle or mere supreme being. No temple in heaven, our text further informs us. Why not? Because Jesus is its temple. That's why. Maybe he wasn't altogether playing with words when he said back on earth 
destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. No sun or moon either, we're told, because the Lamb is the lamp. Don't you love that play on sound? The Lamb is the lamp. The biblical statement, God is light, suddenly becomes more literal than we ever expected. Did you notice, too, that the text, even when it's talking about heaven, still insists on calling Christ the bridegroom and us his bride? Are we too prone to dismiss that as mere metaphor? Might we discover in heaven that the best and most solid marriage some of us are privileged to experience here on earth is but as a trickle of water from a faucet compared to the grand sweep of Niagara Falls in respect to the relationship you and I shall enjoy with our Lord in heaven. In heaven, that place where, according to one writer, God's truth will taste like honey and embrace us like a bridegroom. I will be happy to receive heaven, no matter how abstract the state or condition it could turn out to be. But I will not look down my nose at it if it turns out to be surprisingly literal and sensuous, a riot of color and taste and smell and sound. I will not consider it beneath me if it should turn out to be a place of many mansions, stately thrones, harmonious music, and jeweled streets. I hope you won't either. Amen.